Thank you for listening to this sermon from Renaissance Church located in Montreal, Quebec. For more information about Renaissance Church, please visit our website, renaissancemtl.com. If you would like to know more about how you can partner up to see the gospel advance in Montreal, please send us an email at renaissance.mtl at gmail.com. If you are new in the back, we have a black box and a QR code. Uh, the black box doesn't matter for you right now, but the, the QR code uh, is just if you want to get to know us a little bit, scan the QR code. Uh, it'll get you to um, a page that you can just fill out your information. We can get to know you a little bit more, and we'd love to follow up with you today. Um, as we begin, I just want to say today is my deep desire that the gospel would be loudly proclaimed, our hearts would genuinely praise our Lord, and we would desperately see our need for a Savior and find our lives transformed by Jesus Christ. I hope you will join me in that today. Um, I'm going to share a little bit of a story with you all to begin. Um, so many of you know I have a seven-year-old daughter. Her name is Skylar. Um, and Skylar at the moment, and probably for the rest of her life, let's be real, she, she really loves movies, right? So we usually let her watch one movie a week. Um, usually her movie night is on Friday nights. And so on movie night, she gets to pick a movie that she wants to watch. So the other day we took her to John Wick. Um, no, we did not. <laughs> we... <laughs> We did not take her to John Wick, right? She's seven, right? So we, uh, we have to approve the movies that she watches first, right? Um, <laughs> but she gets to, uh, typically on her movie night, she gets to pick a movie that is uh, her age friendly. What happens usually is time, uh, time, from time to time, she, she gets stuck on one movie and, and that she wants to watch this movie week after week after week. If you have kids, I'm sure that's a pretty normal thing. They're like obsessed with just one movie and they're like, I just want to watch this. So what we do often is we intervene a little bit and say, hey, maybe we can give you a few other suggestions, right? Um, one thing I noticed lately, though, is that Skylar is only interested in watching movies that have a clear villain in the movie, okay? Um, so she's not, right now, she's not really interested in Encanto. Encanto doesn't have, like, a clear uh, villain in that movie. Um, or sometimes in the past, we've watched, like, uh, children's documentaries or something like that. And she's liked them before, but she, at the moment, she's like, no, um, this is about the environment or whatever, you know. That's, there's not, like, a real villain except for the human race, you know. Um, and <laughs> so she's not really into, into those kind of movies at the moment. Um, and what I think it is for her is that she wants to be sure who to root for, right? She wants uh, there, there to be, to, to kind of simplify it, right? There's, there's good guys and the good guys win and the bad guys lose and there's no in between, right? And I think um, without, without even saying that, that's often how we view life too, right? There's good people and there are bad people. We are probably on the, the, the right side of things, and the people who don't agree with us, they're on the wrong side of things, right? You can kind of frame it however you want. Um, 
you know, some people might be like, conservatives are the good guys, liberals are the bad guys, or the environmentalists are the good guys, and the people who don't really care are the bad guys. Those who are for gun restriction are the good guys, and those who are pro-gun are the bad guys, right? Capitalists versus communists, rich versus poor, vegans versus meat eaters. We often want to, to simplify things and make one side good and the other side bad. And whatever side that we're on, again, is the good side, and the opposite is the bad side. And it may be true that vegans are horrible people, but it is not always the case that it is so simple. Um, sorry, Ruthie. Um, um, but the point, anyway, the point I'm trying to, to make in all of this, though, is this. It is easy to assume that we are on the right side. But how are we sure? Right? What is it that makes us on the right side of things? Um, because I think we all think that we're on the right side, no matter which side you choose. And today I want to ask us that question in a spiritual sense. What makes you right with God? Right? How do you know that you're on the right side of things with your relationship with God? How do you know that you're okay with him? How do you know that you are justified? That's a question that I want us to, to wrestle with today because that's a question that we see throughout our text. In our text for today, uh, John confronts the religious leaders of the day with this question as he prepares people for the arrival of Jesus. So that's a question that I want us to, to pose for us today. How are you sure you are on the right side when it comes to your relationship with God? What justifies you before God? Um, today, we are continuing in our series in the book of Matthew. Uh, last week, Dylan did a great job as he introduced the, the book for us and, and the first two chapters of Matthew. As a bit of a reminder, though, uh, this book was written uh, largely to Jewish Christians, people who are ethnically Jewish, but following the de death and resurrection of Jesus, they've put their faith in Jesus as the Christ. One of the major themes that runs throughout this book is the theme of kingdom. So what we see over and over through the book of Matthew is that Jesus is the true king of Israel. And his mission on earth was to usher in the kingdom of God. And so a lot of what we'll be focusing on in this series is how do we follow Christ and live for his kingdom? What does it mean for us to belong to the kingdom of God? How do we submit to his rule and his reign in our lives? So let me begin by reading our text for today. Uh, today we're going to be in Matthew chapter 3. Uh, Matthew chapter 3 is where we're going to be. Um, we're going to read the whole chapter. It's about 17 verses, I believe. Uh, so if you have a Bible, uh, I would invite you to follow along. If you don't have a Bible, um, we have some in the back. We should have some in the back. Um, and you can go ahead and grab one of those. And if you don't have one, you can feel free to keep that. Um, it's also going to be on the screen for us. Um, but if you want to, to have a Bible, you can have one from the back again. Uh, or you can follow on, on, along on your phone, whatever is more comfortable for you. Uh, so again, Matthew chapter 3 is where we're going to be. And we're going to begin in verse 1. This is what it says. It says, In those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea. Repent. For the kingdom of heaven is at hand. For this is he who was spoken of by the prophet Isaiah when he said, The voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. Make his path straight. 
Now John wore a garment of camel's hair and a leather belt around his waist, and his food was locusts and wild honey. Then Jerusalem and all Judea and all the region about the Jordan were going out to him, and they were baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. But when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to his baptism, he said to them, You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? He says, Bear fruit in keeping with repentance, and do not presume to say to yourselves, We have Abraham as our father. For I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children for Abraham. Even now the axe is laid to the root of the trees. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. I baptize you with water for repentance, but he who is coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand, and he will clear his threshing floor and gather his wheat into the barn. But the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to John to be baptized by him. John would have prevented him, saying, I need to be baptized by you, and do you come to me? But Jesus answered him, Let it be so now, for thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. Then he consented. And when Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. And behold, a voice from heaven said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. Let's pray, and we'll get into our text for today. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that it teaches us, um, it is useful uh, to exhort us and to um, um, just uh, teach us about who you are. Um, we ask that you would open our hearts today. Uh, would you prepare our hearts to, to hear your word preached? Um, would we be receptive to it? God, would you transform us to be more and more like your son, Jesus? Lord, we need to repent, God. We ask that you would guide us in that, um, help us to be bold in, in, in doing so. And um, we just, again, thank you for the grace that you've given us in your son, Jesus Christ. We love you. Praise in your name. Amen. All right, we're going to get right into things here. Uh, again, just as a little bit of a reminder, Dylan preached for us last week on the first two chapters of Matthew. And what we saw was Jesus introduced as the king, right? So the first chapter went through the genealogy of Jesus, focusing on Jesus coming from the line of David, who was the king of Israel. Then in chapter 2, what we see is that Jesus is born, and he's contrasted with, the, with Herod the king. So Herod is an evil ruler. He's jealous of Jesus being called king of the Jews. And so he orders that all baby boys under the age of two are killed. So the kingdom of Herod, what we see, is violent, selfish, destructive, and has no regard for human life. Jesus, on the other hand, humbly enters the world, born to a virgin girl, conceived by the Spirit. He's forced into exile into Egypt. And as chapter 2 talks about these two kings here, we're forced to begin to reflect on what kind of king Jesus will be. Right? What kind of kingdom 
of what will the kingdom of Jesus look like. And so that's largely what we're going to, to, to look on for as we go forward in the, in the gospel of Matthew, is who is this King Jesus, and what does his kingdom look like? Today, as we just read, we're introduced to a character named John the Baptist. Um, some things that we're told about John, verse 3 tells us that John had been prophesied about in the Old Testament. It says, for this is he who is spoken of by the prophet Isaiah. So Isaiah speaks of someone who would come before Jesus to make a way for him. It says, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. Uh, this quote is originally from Isaiah chapter 40. And what Matthew is telling us is this. Isaiah is here speaking about John the Baptist. He was prophesied about before he was even born. That there would be someone that came before the Christ to prepare the way for him to come. John, uh, he's also prophesied about in the book of Malachi. Uh, Malachi, for those who don't know, is an Old Testament book. Um, it's the last book in the Old Testament. And these are actually the last words of that book. It says, Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. And he will turn the hearts of fathers to their children and the hearts of children to their fathers, lest I come and strike the land with a decree of utter destruction. That might be a little bit confusing for you. You might be thinking it says Elijah was supposed to come, but here we see John the Baptist comes instead. Good question is like, what is, what is really happening here? What, what Malachi is saying is that someone like Elijah will come, right? Someone who, like Elijah, will call people to repent before the coming of the Lord. And what we see throughout the Gospels is, is John is constantly compared to Elijah, right? The description that we read of how John is, uh, is dressed in this chapter is, is exactly the same as how Elijah is described dressed. In Matthew 11, Jesus says that John is Elijah who is to come. And so John the Baptist was not actually Elijah, but he was prophesied about as someone who did what Elijah was doing, calling people to repent and warning of the coming destruction if they did not. And he was to, to come before the Christ to prepare people for Jesus' arrival. And so John's arrival is meant to show us that what's next is the arrival of the Christ. I want to look a little bit more at, at the role of John the Baptist. I think this will be helpful to, to understand why it was necessary for him to come before Jesus. So what was John the Baptist's role? Um, I read this this week. as a pastor named John MacArthur. He writes this. Uh, he calls him a herald. So he says, In ancient times, it was common for a herald to precede the arrival of the monarch to announce his coming and to prepare for his safe and proper travel. With a coterie of servants, the, the herald would make sure that the roadway was as smooth and uncluttered as possible. Holes would be filled, rocks and debris would be removed, and unsightly litter would be burned or hidden. As the group traveled along and worked, the herald would proclaim the king's coming to everyone he encountered. His twofold duty was to proclaim and to prepare. This is what John the Baptist ministry did for God's great King Jesus Christ. And I think that's a, that's a great way to describe what we see John the Baptist doing here. 
And so his role is to prepare and proclaim. And so I want to, to focus on those two aspects of John's ministry. John came before Jesus to proclaim and to prepare. So first, what did he proclaim? What did John come to proclaim? Well, John came to proclaim that the king is coming. Verse 2 tells us that as he is preaching in the wilderness, his message to the people was this. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. The message was that the kingdom was coming, and not just any kingdom, right? God's kingdom. The kingdom of heaven is coming. Again, this message is all throughout the gospel of Matthew. Jesus is the king. He's the king of heaven. He is God. The king came, come to earth. Uh, the word kingdom is mentioned 55 times in the book of Matthew. The word king, 22 times. Jesus preached that the poor in spirit and the persecuted would inherit the kingdom of heaven. He taught the disciples to pray to the Father, your kingdom come. He taught many parables of what the kingdom of God would be like. Jesus was put on trial and accused of being king of the Jews. And when he was crucified, they nailed a plaque over his head that read king of the Jews. This book is centered around Jesus being the king of heaven and him ushering in that kingdom here on earth. And John loudly proclaims to us here, the king is coming. And so what do we do when the king comes? Well... As we read earlier, John's task was to prepare. Prepare the way for the king. Fix the streets. Get rid of the trash. Make things look nice. Clean up. Um, a couple weeks ago when we had uh, that big ice storm, we were without power for a few days. And so we asked Tina if, if we could stay at her place. Uh, she was out of town during that time, and so she graciously allowed us to stay at her apartment. Thank you, Hina. Um, and so as, as the time kind of kept going on, we, we were kind of unsure how long we were going to be displaced for, right? And so we would kind of keep making trips back to our place and, and kind of say, well, you know, I guess, you know, we need to bring our food over now. Um, you know, I guess we need more clothes now. We have two kids under the age of eight, and so we would bring more toys over to her place. And that toys, those toys would be in various different places in, in her house. Um, and we used her dishes. Thank you, Hina, um, for the, the meals that we ate there. Um, and something that you should know about Hina is, is though she wasn't even planning on having anyone staying at her place while she was gone. Her place was immaculate, right? It was completely spotless when we got there. She is an absolute clean freak. Um, and so as we got our power back and we were able to come back to our place, we were like, man, we got to clean up this place, Right? Hina is going to come, be coming back soon. We need to make this place look nice, right? Queen Hina is returning, and if this place isn't spotless, we are going to face her wrath. I make a, obviously make a bit of a joke here, but the point is that when the king returns, things ought to be in place. That was the role of John the Baptist. It was to prepare the way. And so what do we see him doing here? Is he out there cleaning up the streets, getting rid of the trash, filling potholes? No, he's calling for a spiritual cleanup. Right? He's calling people to repent. He's baptizing them, having them confess their sins, making way for, king, for the king to enter into their hearts. 
Baptism itself is the act of saying, I need my life clean, right? I'm in need of spiritual cleansing. We confess our sins to say, I'm spiritually broken. I am a mess. And in baptism, we're saying only the blood of Jesus can cleanse me. I am only clean by his righteousness. So because of Jesus, I can now die to my sin. And through faith in him, I am given his spiritual righteousness, his clean record. Um, something to, to note about baptism in that day. So what we see here is this is the first time that we actually see baptism in the Bible. Jews did not participate in baptism. However, uh, it may have been common in that day for pagans who wanted to become Jews to become baptized. So if you were a non-Jew in that day and you wanted to become a Jew, you would likely become baptized as a symbol of becoming cleansed. But if you were a Jew, you would see no need to participate in baptism, right? You were already one of God's people. And this is important for us to see because what we see is that John, he starts to go at it with the religious leaders of his day. Because what John is saying to them, he's saying, you must come the same way the pagans come, right? How you approach the king, God, is the same way the Gentiles do it, is through confession of sins and by humbly admitting uh, uh, that you are in need of spiritual cleansing. It is through admitting that your sin has made a mess of your life and this world, and it needs to be cleaned up. And that message is a message that is offensive to the religious leaders. Why should they humble themselves to the same status as the pagans, the unbelievers? Right? They are the children of God. They're God's chosen people. They were born into favor with God. And what John says is, this isn't something that you are born into. He says, do not presume to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. For I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children for Abraham. See, the religious leaders of that day were banking on their ethnic status as their right standing with God. And so I want us to ask us today, what justifies you before God? Is it because you go to church every week? Is it because you prayed a prayer when you were a child? Is it because you try to do good in your life? Is it because you serve in the church? Are you, are you a part of a discipleship group, attend members gatherings? Is it because you were raised as a Christian? John says none of those things will be what justifies you. Prepare a way for God in your life by repenting. Admit your need for a Savior and put your faith in Jesus and you will be justified. Not by what you have done, not by good, how good you've been, but solely based on the work of Christ on your behalf. John goes on to explain what true repentance looks like. He says in verse 8, bear fruit in keeping with repentance. So true repentance produces fruit. In other words, there is evidence of change in your life as a result of it. Real repentance isn't just lip service, right? It's more than a thought or an intention. Real repentance bears fruit. Um, pastor named Don Carson, he writes this. He says, repentance must be genuine. If we wish to escape the coming wrath, then our entire lifestyle must be in harmony with our oral repentance. Mere descent from Abraham is not enough. 
This clearly wasn't the case for the Pharisees and the Sadducees who came to see the baptisms. Their lives were not producing any fruit. They were upset that they would even be called to repent because they were on the right side of things. They were justified because their father was Abraham. But John says true repentance will result in a changed life. I want to look back at, at John's role of proclaiming. Again, we said John came to, to proclaim and to prepare. And so in addition to proclaiming the king is coming, he also goes on to proclaim to the religious leaders that judgment will be coming if they don't repent. He says in verse 10, Even now the axe is laid to the root of the trees. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. I baptize you with water for repentance, but he who is coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandals I am not, worth, I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand, and he will clear his threshing floor and gather his wheat into the barn. But the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. Those are strong words. I had a conversation with someone the other day, um, and they said, my friend claims to, to be a Christian but doesn't believe that there is a hell. They don't believe that a loving God would send anyone to hell. They said, that's not right, is it? And my response was something to the effect of this. If, if there is no hell, what do people need saving from? Right? John is, in this passage is clear. You need to repent or else judgment is coming. Don't be fooled into thinking that there are no consequences for sin. The first lie the humans believed in the garden was this. Did God actually say you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden. But God said, you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden. Neither shall you touch it, lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die. If you disobey God, you won't die. There's no judgment for disobeying God. And this message is contrary to the true message of Scripture. John's message here is this. The king is coming. Repent or you will face his wrath. Turn to follow the king or you are like the serpent, his enemy. And when the king comes, he is here to crush the serpent. He's here to deliver his people from the enemy. And those who side with the serpent make war with God. Therefore, repent, confess your sins, admit that you need to be cleansed. Make way for the king to enter your heart or there will be judgment. But for those who put their faith in King Jesus, the wrath of God that you deserve has been poured out on Jesus on the cross. Your sins are forgiven and the wrath of God has been satisfied. In the, the final verses of Matthew 3 here, we see the baptism of Jesus. And after all we've discussed about baptism, you might be wondering, why was Jesus baptized? Right? Why was it necessary for him to be baptized? After all, baptism is for sinners. It's for those who are unclean. It's to symbolize the need for spiritual renewal. And so why would the king need this if he is without sin? If you're wondering this, uh, you're not alone. This is the question John wrestled with. He says in verse 14, 
I need to be baptized by you. And do you come to me? And Jesus responds by saying this. He says, let it be so now, for thus is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. Maybe not the answer we were expecting. Perhaps you were looking for like a little bit more of a direct answer here. But what I want us to do with the remainder of our time is to explore that question a bit. Why did Jesus get baptized, right? So a couple of reasons I want to explore why Jesus was baptized. Uh, this is not a comprehensive list, but it is a few things that I'd like us to, to take away from today. Number one, Jesus' baptism showed what he would do for man. Jesus' baptism showed what he would do for man. Jesus didn't need to be baptized because he had sinned, just as in the same way he did not need to go to the cross for his sin. He had none. He went to the cross for our sin. And baptism demonstrates that he was willing to die for the sins of the world, that he would be buried for three days and then raise again to life for you and I. Jesus didn't get baptized because he needed purification, but to show that he would purify man through his death and resurrection. And so Jesus' baptism showed what he would do for man. Second, Jesus' baptism showed how we are seen by the Father through faith in him. So as Jesus emerges from the water, we hear the Father speak. He says, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. Wherever you're at today, know this. Know that when you put your faith in Jesus, this is how God sees you. He sees you through the eyes of his son, Jesus. He is well pleased with you. You are loved by the Father. His baptism shows us that through faith in Jesus, God is well pleased with you. And so what does all this tell us about the kingdom of God? In God's kingdom, the king identifies with his people. He comes to earth as man to humbly live like one of us. In God's kingdom, the king dies for his people. In God's kingdom, the king makes his people righteous, not because of who you are, but because of who the king is. This is the kingdom that John foretold about. This is the kingdom that reigns when you allow Jesus to rule in your life. The king is here. And if you don't know Jesus yet, I would invite you to do this. Prepare a way for him in your heart. Turn to him today. Repent. Identify as a sinner whose sins need to be cleansed. And invite him into your life to rule. If you're a follower of Christ, allow him to reign in your life and proclaim that he is coming once again. That is our privilege as members of his kingdom, to proclaim the good news of Jesus and his kingdom. Let's pray. Thank you for listening to the sermon from Renaissance Church. If you have any questions about the sermon or would like to know more, please feel free to contact us by email at renaissance.mtl.gmail.com or reach out to us on social media. It's our passion to love Jesus, love each other, and love our world.